Amen. Good morning. Good to see you on this holiday weekend. Isaiah chapter 40 this morning as we continue our series in the book of Isaiah. Where do God's people stand in a world of shifting sand? Who or what is our surety, our security, our stability? And in Isaiah chapter 40, I want to point out to us this morning the context. I, I think this makes even the words of Isaiah to the people of God even more significant when we understand the context of when he speaks these words to the people of God. So I actually want to begin in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 39. Isaiah tells Hezekiah, listen to the word of the Lord who commands armies. Look, a time is coming when everything in your palace and the things your ancestors have accumulated to this day will be carried away to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Basically, my people get ready I'm sending you into exile. In a sense, God is saying, get ready, my people. You're going into the fire. I think one of the things that makes Isaiah chapter 40 so relevant to us is that very fact. All of us here today, or those who are even watching from your homes this morning, you're in one of three places. You're either getting ready to go into a fire, you're already in a fire, or you're coming out of a fire. That's usually the way life is, you see. And we may not be in a fire right now, but at some point, something's going to come into our life, and we're going to feel like we've been thrown into the fire. As we think about that, what can give us encouragement? Where can we find our surety, our stability, and our security knowing that? And I even think that a passage like this, God not only wants us to be encouraged, he wants us to use the truth from passages like this to even share with others and encourage others, because maybe you're not in the fire right now, but you know somebody who is. And they could use the truth from this passage to encourage them. And what God wants to primarily say to his people is this. Whether you're getting ready to go into a fire, you're in the fire, or you've just come out of the fire, I need you to hear me. I need you to see me. I need you to know me. And that's true no matter where we are in life. We need to continually hear God, see God, and know God. That's how you and I find our surety, our security, and stability. That's why God said through the prophet Isaiah later, later on, he says, but here's the problem. I have people who have ears to hear, but they don't hear me. And they have eyes to see, but they don't see me. 
And then even in the Gospel of John, Jesus even said to one of his disciples, he says, how long have you been with me and yet you still don't know me? So the idea is you and I can have ears, we can have eyes, we can have the ability to know God and even be walking with him, but not really know him. So that's where Isaiah chapter 40 comes in. And I first want us to talk about hearing God. In fact, if you go over to verse 21 and 28, you'll notice these two phrases. Isaiah 40, verse 21, do you not hear? God says through the prophet Isaiah to his people. Look at verse 28. Have you not heard? Saying again to his own people. So notice then back in verse 1, there's a message to the people of God, says your God. And notice these words. Speak, the first word of verse 2. Verse 3, a voice is crying out. Verse 6, a voice says, cry out. And before that, at the end of verse 5, for the Lord has decreed or said these things. Over at the end of verse 8, but the word or the decree of our God is forever reliable. Therefore, verse 9, shout. Verse 9, shout. And verse 9, say. Over and over again, God is speaking to his people. And he's saying, do you hear me? Yes, you are about ready to go into exile. You're about ready to go into the fire, but I'm not done with you. As we talked about last week in Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, I know the plans I have for you. Are you hearing me? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Are you hearing me? Yes, you're going into the fire. But the God who's sending you into that fire is also going to take you through the fire and bring you out of the fire. Do you hear me? There's a great purpose for this fire that I'm sending you into. You have walked away from me, and you're not in a good place. And I'm going to use this fire in your life to refine you and to purify you and actually to turn your heart back to me. That's a good thing. Do you hear me? Which is why then in verse 1, the first message God gives to his people is a word of comfort. And he repeats it twice. He says, comfort, comfort my People. He's basically saying to his people, yes, you're getting ready to go into exile. Yes, you're getting ready to go into a fire. But if you hear me, you can be comforted and consoled as you get ready to go in and even as you're in the fire. Because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulations. There is no comfort like God. There is no one who can comfort us and console us like God. And I love this Hebrew word that God uses here for comfort. It literally is a word that also means take a deep breath. God is saying to his people, don't start hyperventilating, you know, don't send yourself into a panic attack because you're not breathing properly. 
Settle down. Take deep breaths. It's going to be okay. I'm your God, the God we have so wondrously and wonderfully sung about. And I've got you, God says. Be comforted. See, God can comfort us at all times and in all situations. Are we willing to be comforted? Sometimes as human beings, we're not there. We don't want to be consoled or comforted. We want to hang out in our, you know, pity party or our, our misery or whatever. I mean, we're sort of like that little child that the, the parent's trying to comfort them, and the child says, no, I don't want to be comforted. I want to be mad right now. I want to be upset right now. I want to be angry. And God gets that, but God is saying, but let me comfort you. That's one of the things. The other thing God says in verse 3 is this voice is crying out, in the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord. Remove all the obstacles in our lives so that we can see something. So that we can see what? Verse 5, the splendor, the glory, the majesty of the Lord. Now we'll come back to that because then that sort of breaks into seeing God. But God is also saying, hear me. You've got too many distractions and obstacles in your life. You can't see me, so I want to speak this into your life. Take the time to remove the obstacles and the distractions so that you can not only hear me, but so that you can see me and see me in all of my magnificence, in all my greatness, in all my glory. We'll come back to that. Then there's another voice, verse 6. This voice is crying out. Another asks, what should I cry out? And the first voice responds, verse 6, all people are like grass, and all their promises are like the flowers in the field. The grass dries up, the flowers wither. When the wind sent by the Lord blows on them, surely all humanity is like grass. The grass dries up, the flowers wither. Ah, but the word or decree of our God is forever reliable. God is saying to all of us, you're grass. <laughs> you're frail compared to me, the eternal God. Your life is very brief. That's another thing he's talking about when he says we're like grass, the brevity of our life. And yet he's saying, so how can one who's so frail and fragile and finite be so sure and stable and secure because our surety, our stability, and our security is in the eternal God and his word. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in the heavens. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will never pass away. Put your life on the sure and reliable and dependable word of God. And here's another thing God is saying to his people. They're all enamored and in awe and literally living in fear of the Babylonians, the superpower that is emerging in the world that's going to take them into exile and King Nebuchadnezzar and all of this. And they look at them and they're just like, Wow, we're nothing compared to them. And how could we ever 
be removed from their clutches? How, how could we ever get out of their power? We're so small and they're so big. And God is saying to his people, they're just grass too. Babylon is just grass. The nation is just made up of people of grass. Their leaders are just grass to me. They're going to be here and they're going to be gone just like every other world power and nation that has come on the scene of world history. They're not going to last. I'm the only one that lasts. Trust me. Don't put your faith in or, you know, be intimidated by all of these human beings. See me, hear me, God is saying. And then in verse 9, he says, Go up to a high mountain, O herald Zion, and shout something really loud so that all of Israel can hear it. Shout. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid. And say to the towns of Judah, and here's the transition now from God wanting us to hear him to see him. And he says, here's your God. Behold your God. See your God. Are we hearing him? Are we receiving his word to secure us and stabilize us and settle us? Are we receiving the comfort of God through his words to us, his love to us? And then are we seeing him, truly seeing our God? Or are there too many things in the way? I shared this on Wednesday night as we're going through the book of Genesis and studying the life of Joseph. I said, God always wants us to see him before our circumstances so that we see all of our life's circumstances through God. In other words, don't put God behind your circumstances and see your circumstances and then try to see God God comes before everything else and see him first and see him so great and so large and so big that then our circumstances can be put in proper perspective. And that's the important thing for all of us as God's people. In order to always see God, it's because then it puts everything and places everything in its proper perspective in our life. Instead of things becoming bigger than they should be, God becomes the biggest thing in our view. God becomes the largest thing in our life and therefore our circumstances Circumstances are then judged, if you will, in relation to the greatness and bigness of our God. And that's what God was saying to his people through the prophet Isaiah. Behold your God. What are some things God specifically wants us to see about him? Well, verse 10, he's coming. <laughs> Look, behold, see, same word that's used, that's translated here at the end of verse 9. Behold, see, the sovereign Lord is coming. And when he comes, oh, he's coming as the victorious warrior. 
and one who's not just going to come and give us total victory one day, but one who now can give us victory even through the fires of life. His military power will establish his rule. He will put down all those who oppose him one day, and he will set up his earthly kingdom. And look, the prophet is saying, behold, see that as you see him, you also see that his reward for your faithful service is with him too. He's coming, and you're going to be part of his eternal kingdom. Are you seeing things from that perspective one day? And his prize is before him. You know what his prize is? The people that he set free. That's his prize. You're his prize. If you know the Lord through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you are God's prize. And we will live forever before him. Do you see him coming in great power and great glory? And do you see him in all of his greatness and majesty now? Do you see the one who loves you and cares about you more than anyone ever could? Because notice what else he wants us to see about him. Not just who he is to us and will be for us when he comes back, but who he is and what he is for us right now, verse 11. Right now, he's our shepherd. And notice, as our shepherd, he tends his flock. It means he provides for us our every need. A good shepherd is going to provide good pasture for their sheep to graze. Not only that, but the word ten not only means to provide, it means to protect. And as our good shepherd, our great shepherd, our chief shepherd, as the Bible refers to Jesus Christ, he will provide our every need and he will protect us. That's our shepherd. Then notice these phrases about how much he loves us and wants us to be as close to him as possible. I love these phrases. He gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries us close to his heart. He leads the ewes along. And by the way, I'm not making this up. You check it out for yourself. The word leads literally means he leads us to an oasis. I'm not making it up. Because this word speaks about leading the lambs to a place of rest and refreshment. An oasis. That's our shepherd. Our shepherd always wants us to be refreshed and revived and refueled and renewed. We'll talk about that a little bit later. That's the care. That's the love that our shepherd has. And Isaiah is saying to his people, yes, you're getting ready to go into the fire, but do you understand your shepherd's never going to stop shepherding you? He's just going to pull you even closer in the fire. Think of Daniel's friends in the literal fire of Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. They were some of the ones that went into exile, Daniel and his friends. Was God not with Daniel and his friends? Did he not protect Daniel in the lion's den? Did he not protect Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fire? Absolutely he did. 
And he will do so for his people today if we continue to not only hear him and the messages of comfort and consolation that he wants to give to us, but that we continually see him in all of his glory. In fact, let's continue this concept of seeing God. In verse 12, he says, I want you to see that I am the God who is immeasurable and infinite, who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand or carefully measured the sky or carefully weighed the soil of the earth or weighed the mountains in a balance or the hills on a scale. Doesn't this sound like God's conversation to Job at the end of the book of Job? When Job begins to like question God and God begins to ask Job about all the things of how he, he can run creation and Job's just speechless because he has no idea, you know. Where are the storehouses of snow, Job? Do you know? Do you know how this universe operates and how I keep it all going? And Job's just dumbfounded because he has no clue. We're just grass compared to God and God saying, I'm not trying to humiliate you. I'm trying to show you who I am so that you are always sure, stable, and secure, no matter whether you're getting ready to go into a fire, whether you're already into a fire, or whether you're just coming out of a fire, knowing at some point in your life you're going to go back in, that you can always feel sure, stable, and secure because you always have me in view and my greatness. Who comprehends, verse 13, the mind of the Lord or gives him instruction as his counselor? Unlimited, immeasurable wisdom God has. From whom does he receive directions or who teaches him the correct way to do things or imparts knowledge to him or instructs him in skillful design? And then the prophet says in verse 15, look, look at your God. He's not only immeasurable, He's the immense one who dwarfs all that he has created. Do you see him in that greatness that he is? Because look, the prophet says in verse 15, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He lifts the coastlands as if they were dust. Look down in verse 22. He is the one, God, who sits on the earth's horizon. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers before him. He's the one who stretches out the sky like a curtain and spreads it out like a pitch tent. God is so immense and great. Do we see him in all of his greatness and bigness and largeness so that, again, our circumstances are put in their proper perspective? It's not, like I said, Wednesday. It's not that God wants us to deny reality. It's not that God wants us to live in some dream world like all these things maybe aren't happening, but he wants us to see all of our life through him first. There's no one like him. In fact, look at verse 18. Not only is he, he, he immeasurable and infinite and immense, he's the incomparable one. To whom can you compare God, verse 18? To what image can you liken him? And that's why then in the next couple of verses, he talks about how foolish idolatry is. Tr trying to put God, this immense, great, immeasurable, incomparable God, and bring him down to, to our level. 
In fact, I want to encourage you today, you may not have a bunch of idols in your house that you worship instead of God, but if you've put your great God, who's immense, immeasurable, and incomparable, into a little box so that you can wrap your head around him and manage him and, and, and all of that, then you've done the same thing. You've, you've brought this great God down. And God is saying, don't do that. Don't become an idolater. Don't try to, don't try to compare me to anyone or anything because there's no one or nothing like me. Let me be beyond you. That should actually bring you comfort. Let me be as great as I am. And then your problems and your situations and your circumstances, you'll know just as Nicole shared that I'm the great God who can help you. And you won't be so full of angst and, and anxiety and worry because you'll know that this great God who's created everything in this universe and this universe is beyond our comprehension, that this God has us too. And we'll come back to that. Notice he repeats this idea of God being incomparable in verse 25. To whom can you compare me? Whom do I resemble, says the Holy One, the Holy Other One, no one like God. So then he says this, and we sung about this today. He says, okay, now I want you to do this. I want you to still see me, but I want you to see me as you look up at the sky. See something about me as you look up at the night sky. And as you see on a clear night, just all these stars that just go on and on and on to where they sort of just all run together. And we know that there's even galaxies, just like we sung about this morning, that are even beyond our galaxy. And you could just go on and on. And the stars are just, there's no end. And God says, who created all these? And then... I'm the one who leads out their ranks. Because we all know, even in our scientific knowledge, that every star is bigger or smaller than others. Every star ha has a different heat to it, a different intensity to it. God knows all that because God created him that way. And then I love this. He calls every last star by name. And God is simply saying to all of us, as he said through the prophet Isaiah to his people then, if I know every star by name, then I know you by name. If I have as intimate a knowledge about every star that I created, and you're of much greater value than a star, because the stars one day are going to disappear, but you are an eternal soul that will live forever. And I died for you. I didn't die for a star. If I know them that well, then I know you that well. And because of my absolute power, notice, and awesome strength, not one of them is missing. Not one. I take care of everything that I created. So God is saying, yes, you're getting ready to go into a fire, my people. But if you continue to hear me, 
as you go into the fire and while you're there and you continue to see me, that fire will be very manageable and you'll be able to navigate it and you'll actually prosper in Babylon. Think of Daniel. <laughs> That's just one example. We know Joseph was the same thing that we're looking at on Wednesday, even though he was in Egypt. He continued to follow the Lord and trusted the Lord and lean into the Lord, and God prospered him in everything that he did. The fire doesn't have to destroy us. The fire can actually make us strong and stronger and more aware of our God. All God is saying is, I gave you ears, hear me. I gave you eyes, see me. But then he also says, I gave you the ability to know me. And this word know that the prophet uses here is a word that speaks about firsthand experiential knowledge. Notice what he says in verse 21 and 28, verses that we looked at before about hearing, but now he says this phrase twice. Do you not know, verse 21, verse 28, do you not know? Do you know me? You know, you and I can spend time with other people and still not know them. They can spend time with us and still not know us. You know what I mean? You understand? And so often, even as Christians, as God's people, we can say we've known God since we were saved and, and, and we walk with him, but do you know him? I mean, know him in an intimate, personal, firsthand, experiential way. Because like Jesus said to one of his disciples, how long have you been with me, Philip, and you still don't know me? Should have known me by now. It's what God is saying to his people. What does God want us to know about him? that he loves us and cares about us, and if we truly knew God, we would know that. Because notice what the prophet says in verse 27 to the people of God. Using Jacob and Israel as representation of the entire nation. Why do you say, Jacob, why do you say, Israel, the Lord is not aware of what's happening to me? My God is not concerned with my vindication. See, the people of God were saying, God is unaware of what we're going through or he's uninterested in what we're going through. And God is saying through the prophet Isaiah, then you don't know me very well. Because if you knew me, you would know that I'm absolutely aware and absolutely interested in everything about you. And that I love you and I'll never stop loving you and that I care about you and I will always care about you. And then I want you to look again at that word one, speaking of the stars at the end of verse 26, and draw a line from that to the word me in verse 27. And God is saying, if I don't miss a star, then I don't miss one of you. If every star is of value to me and you're of greater, far greater value to me than any star, then you are important to me. 
And here's what I want to say to all of us today. You know, sometimes, again, even as the people of God, we go, well, I know God is such and such, he's that way or whatever, and I know he does that for others, but does he really feel that way about me? Yeah, yeah, me. Me's in there, right? Yeah, he does. And when you and I get to a place in our life, even as a Christian, where we think God cares more about others than he does me, or that, yeah, I could see God thinking others are very valuable or whatever, but, but not just little old me, then you don't know, I don't know God at that point. Because God is saying to his people, if you really knew me, you would know that you're just as valuable that, that you're worth as much to me as any other human being I ever made. And if you knew me, you would see yourself the way I see you. And you would know I will never stop loving you, never stop caring about you, and just because I'm allowing you to go into this fire doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't care about you. In fact, it means just the opposite. I do love you so much. I do care about you so much, and that's exactly why I'm allowing this to come into your life. And then he's saying, you need to know that your God is an inexhaustible God. Verse 28, do you not know? Have you not heard the Lord is an eternal God, the creator of the whole earth, and he does not get tired or weary, and there's no limit to his wisdom? Inexhaustible infinite oh and one more thing inspiring because when you and i hear god and see god and truly know god we also then will come to a place where we realize he's all sufficient everything and anything i will ever need i can find within my great and good god why verse 29 because he shares his supernatural strength to those who are tired he, the ones who lack power, he will give renewed energy. Even youths get tired and weary. Even strong young men clumsily stumble at times. But those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They will rise up and soar like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not get tired. God is saying, when you see me as the immense one, as the immeasurable one, as the incomparable one, as the inexhaustible one, as the inspiring one, you will see that in me I have all the sufficiency you will ever need and that you can find within me all that you need to continue on your journey. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't put your attitude in the tank. Continue to hear me and see me and know me and I will bring you through this fire and you'll be even greater because of it, and you and I will be closer because of it, because I'm the God who can renew you like no one else can. I particularly want you to pay attention to that verse, or those phrases at the end of verse 29, renewed energy, and then verse 31, renewed strength. God can inspire like no one else. I also want to go to the word wait in verse 31 because this is a verse that many Christians know and we quote and use a lot. The word wait doesn't mean to just sit around and be inactive or passive. 
The word wait literally means to look to God for all that we will ever need. That's what the word means, to look to God, the one that we are hearing, the one that we are seeing in all of his goodness and greatness, the one that we are continually knowing, firsthand experiential knowledge, gaining more and more knowledge of who he is. Therefore, we understand how much we can place everything in our lives into his very capable hands and that no one will take better care of us love on us, get us through, help us, strengthen us, renew us, then our God. Look to him for all that we need. This is the message that God had to his people before they even went into the fire. Because God says, I want you to be strong and sure and stable in me even before you go in so that when you're in that fire, you continue to hear me, see me, and know me, and you come out of the fire even better than when you went in. Because I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not harm you, plans for a future and hope. Now, you could look at verse 31 and go, wow, God says I could soar like an eagle. God says I could run and not grow weary. But you know why this passage and this chapter ends with walking? Because that's where all of us have to start. Before we can run in a sense with God and soar with God, we got to walk with God. And as it's been said, even the journey of a thousand miles has to start with one step. And so here's what I want to encourage all of us to do today since we've had this wonderful time of worship and we're going to have some more in just a moment, and we've heard and seen, hopefully, our God and knowing him a little bit more today, that we will take that step or we will continue taking that step in order to hear God, see God, and know him. Because... All of us who've been alive for any length of time knows this is what life will be. Life will either be I'm getting ready to go into a fire, I'm already in a fire, or I've just come out of a fire, but that's sort of the way life is. Those are those seasons. And God is saying to his people, are you ready? Because in order for you, my people, to stay sure, secure, and stable through the fires of life, you got to continue to hear me, see me, and know me. Will we take that step today, looking to him for all that we need? I'm going to ask our worship team to come now. And as they get set up here on the platform, what step? Don't think about soaring yet. Don't think about running yet. Just think about walking. Just think about, God, what is that step that I need to take or that step that I need to continue to take in order to put myself in a place where I'm hearing you, seeing you, and knowing you on a consistent basis? Because that's how we stay sure. That's how we stay secure. And that's how we stay 
stable. Would you stand with me and join me in prayer, and then we'll sing our song to the Lord today. Father, I pray this morning that God, all of us who have come to your house today or joined us live stream to, to come into your house today, God, that we're hearing you. We're hearing your message of comfort and consolation. We're being reminded, God, that we're grass. And even, Lord, the people that bother us and the things that bother us, they're grass. You're the eternal God, and your word will stand forever. And God, are we seeing you? How immense you are, how immeasurable you are, how incomparable you are, how inspiring you are. And God, are we knowing you? God, may each of us dedicate ourselves to taking a step to look to you, God, for all that we will ever need in this life. Strengthen us, God, for the fires of our life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.